0: When I'm on stage, yeah, okay. When I'm on stage, I'm not the guy that's talking to you now, right? That for sure, I'm aware of that. And I realized that the way I am on stage is sort of a uh, a, a hyperbolic version of who's talking to you now, right? Um, And anything that I do when I'm on stage is really just to say thank you whether there's 10 people or 10,000 people, you didn't stay home and watch Netflix. You made today worth it that i decided to be a musician so all of the jumping and the leaping and the breaking of things and all the nudity and the bloodshed and everything that goes along with seeing me play um it really just is a way of saying thank you i realize i'm a service provider and if you guys didn't make the effort to come down I would be really, I would be a pathetic clown dressed like an idiot. You know what I mean? Um, So there's no room for ego. So I, one of the things that I've learned through doing this now for 35 years professionally um, was that um, uh, the people that come to the shows are your boss, in a literal sense they're your manager they're your publicist they're your booking agent they're your friend the amount of people that I've made friendships with like now that I'm facing Mm -hmm. this stuff with mom um uh which I wasn't even aware of for like the first six or seven months I was taking care of her but all the stuff that's going on with mom right now you know when I sort of tentatively reached into the social media world saying Mm -hmm. hey this is what's up the amount of love and genuinely helpful information that came back to this ignorant fucking dude that I am, particularly about that, um, from people all over the world, you know, obviously, they're all sort of in my age range, because this is when you begin to encounter these things, right. Um uh, and they've been really helpful and really gracious and, and you know, and, again, and also from all sides of the political spectrum, I am totally about can we focus on what brings us together, because everybody else wants us to focus on what separates us, and if we believe those who would separate us, we are allowing ourselves to be manipulated. And they don't have our best interests at heart. My neighbor across the street is a total uh, former guy supporter, okay? Um, and I am totally not a former guy supporter. but I promise you, that is my brother. That is not my enemy. I need to distrust those that would make me think our problems differ because my my problems and my neighbor's problems, are the same it's those that would make us question whether or not we're in the same boat that those are the people that you got to watch out for right so i'm totally down with like guys we got to let all that shit go away right the fuck now before this place spirals into a madness um and we got to remember we're a, a country of immigrants um that owe each other gratitude for making a special country that most that we can actually thrive in um i love cops i'm totally not the bad ones of course not the bad ones but that's who you're gonna call when shit's going down so they're not your enemy some of them are your enemy Yeah, I've had a cop pull me over and put a gun to my head. I'm not even fucking black. (laughs) You know what I mean? Literally, literally. And uh, a buddy of mine who is uh, uh, Air Force, uh, we were going to the NAMM show, coming back from the NAMM show. um, And there was a detour. So I had to go make a three-point turn to actually get back on the route right and i saw the fucker behind me and i'm like all right do this by the book alex you know i did the three-point turn i did everything legit pulls up behind me fucking cherries come on i'm like you gotta be fucking shitting me are you kidding i couldn't have sucked this dick any guy's dick anymore if he paid me you know what i mean and uh And so, and and I'm like, I don't believe this. And I still got an hour drive and now this and the next thing, and I see him walk up to the window and he's got the fucking gun pointed at my head. I'm a little bit of a fatalist and you know, I don't, I don't care. I really don't. I, I, I love what I do, but if I get taken, I get taken what the fuck ever it is, how it is, you know, I don't have kids. So there's not that much to lose. Um, uh, and and I'm and I look to my left, you know, I was driving, and there's the fucking gun pointed in my head, right in my head. Now I'm pissed. Now, now I'm in a bad fucking mood. And I, I say to the cop with the drawn gun held in my head, and uh, my buddy Jerry Harris, he, he was the Air Force dude. He was sitting in the passenger seat. He's like, Alex, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up, shut up, shut up, shut up. You know, under his breath. I'm like, Are you kidding me? You walk up to my car with a gun drawn. And this guy goes, I just want to get home to my family. I'm like, well, I'd like to get home to my family, too. I'm, gonna, I'm from Chicago. Fuck you. You can't just walk up to me with a drawn gun because you're a cop because I made a three-point turn. And I was driving. At the time, I had a white Volvo. A Volvo. Wow nothing says gangster hood rat more than a white s80 you know what i mean i'm like give me a fucking break dude seriously what are you i mean what are you going off of here everything was intact the plates the insurance everything that came up on the screen it was all totally legit i don't have any fucking warrants or anything like that but this fucking guy rolled up to me with it so yeah i don't like him I think he's a fucking coward and a piece of shit because he he came up to the my window with his gun drawn, ready to fucking put a bullet in my head for being alive. So fuck that cop. But that's not all. That's not all of them. There's cops out there that see abandoned dogs, to defenses that take that dog home and give it a second chance. You know what I mean? There are good and decent people on the force. Trust me. And the same thing with uh, with with our soldiers and our military. My thing is I hate the war. I love the warrior. I hate the war. I love the warrior. These are decent, honorable men and women that shouldn't be put in that position. And it fucks with them and it changes them and it makes it hard to come home. And I know a lot of these guys. I mean, a little yeah. bit of the backstory. So, you know, those jams that were going on in LA for a while, there pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So there was one at the whiskey called the ultimate jam night. Yeah. Um, and then there was one at uh, uh, the bowling alley, lucky strike called uh, uh Soundcheck live. Um, and it used to be one team and then they broke into factions and then the bitterness and the weirdness started anyway. So uh, uh, me and Johnny Martin and Ace Von Johnson were always kind of the square peg in the round hole of that. Right. So um, everybody else would be clamoring to do the White Snake song. Right. Uh, and then the three of us would just like, you know, we were like, don't pick us. And we would just like go way into the back. <laughs> you can't see me. Um, and uh, 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 so we would, you know, we, would, we were like the Tolkien punk rock guys and whatever. Uh so anytime I was like Ramones, obviously, you know, I would get the call or uh, you know, clash or whatever, you know, it would be me, Johnny, and Ace, always with whomever. And you know, we'd get the guns and roses tune and whatever. Um, but uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, they would put us on the stuff that was sweep free. But I would like to also say, um uh sweeps really are just slow chords. So let's be honest about it. Chords are fast sweeps, Um, probably twice the speed of a sweep. You know what I mean? I don't want (laughs) to brag. I'm just saying, but I can play a C chord faster than anybody can play a sweep. (laughs) Um, uh, And I take a lot of pride in that. But um, uh, so we were always sort of the red-haired stepchild. And then the weird thing started happening where, like, we were the ones getting all the work. Mm -hmm right so um you know first I, I i i played with little caesar for two three years however long that was and you know there was this litany of uh you know and then you know those guys started jamming with tiffany tiffany which was the point tiffany came down started hanging out at the jams and like she would do like some acdc with us or whatever and we'd be like get the fuck out bitch. she's killing you know and she's cool she's a cool chick, and like very uh you know, very rock and roll, you know what I mean? Rock and roll perspective on things, easy yeah. hang. Uh, but, uh, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, uh, Scotty and uh, Johnny are going out with her. And uh, I think it's a smart move on her part because it is, you know, I would I would go There's see There's a
1: cool factor right there.
0: Yeah. Well, I would, I mean, if I saw, you know, Tiffany featuring, if I didn't know Johnny and Scott and Scott and me grew up in Chicago, so we know each other well, too. But, um, uh, and we're always threatening putting a band together that Scott would front. Scotty Coogan. There's a point right before the pandemic that we were actually talking about it where, you know, we would do uh, a band and he would be the front man and, you know, he would come up behind the kit and, you know, do all of this stuff, you know, and then the pandemic pretty much took care of that once that kicked in but. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's great that, you know, uh, Johnny and Scotty are going to be going out with fucking uh, Tiffany and just even being able to say that, you know, it's, uh, the other, uh, I know some of the people in the Alice Cooper camp pretty well. And, uh, and I'm like, how did, you know, Manson and Alice Cooper, I mean, how did this even happen? And now we have to take that seventies Alice Cooper perspective into account to fully appreciate what was said. So Manson's then manager, um, Uh, Before his troubles, (laughs) Um, Manson's then manager, and again, this is, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, uh, called up Alice's manager and said, hey, is there a chance that Marilyn can go on tour with Alice Cooper because we think Alice would be a good influence on Marilyn. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true, though he was a good influence on Maryland. And I don't think it's coincidental that, you know, we saw that little blip of like, you know, I'm fucking Manson. I got to get my shit together. So when he started working with Tyler Bates, a buddy from Chicago, as I was saying earlier, um, uh, you know, he got a little bit hungry there for a second, you know, and we can't forget that um, we can't forget that, I mean, when that dude came out, there had been nothing like him before. I mean, there had been Alice Cooper. But I mean, now what you had was you had Iggy Pop and Alice Cooper put together. I
1: remember seeing him in the club. I mean, and him getting the audience to spit. I'd be like, oh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what the funny thing about Alice uh, Alice Cooper, Hi, Manson is. um, uh, His favorite band was Life, Life, Sex and Death was, I don't know, whichever. Uh, Life, Sex and Death. Um, and they actually formed at our first show in Florida. Really? Literally, like he told me that. He said, yeah, we were." I think it was the Button South. I don't remember the name, but we did a show and there was 20 people there, max. There was 20 people there, but two of them ended up being in Marilyn Manson. So it was the bass player who's passed away now um, and uh, Manson the other thing, and I say this all the time, but I believe it all the time, too. Stable, balanced people don't make good art because they don't have to. They don't have to. You know what I mean? Oh, I got a nice job, uh, beautiful everything, you know what I mean? I got my degree and whatever the fuck, and things are going exactly as they're supposed to, and everything's wonderful, and, you know, the kids are going to have no problem getting, you know, they got straight A's at Harvard and whatever the fuck, and it's kind of like well, you don't have shit to complain about. It's the fucking one goth kid in the middle of Iowa who comes who lives in a trailer. You know what I mean? That kid is the one that we're fucking. You know, that's who we're taking care of. We're not taking care of the president of fucking Goldman Sachs. You know what I mean? Not at all. Um, uh, uh, but uh, uh, so we were. But the 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 songs that we were working for were as fucked up as you can imagine but they weren't garbage they were challenging and the chord progressions we were coming up with I remember there was one that he came up with and I'm like dude I've never ever heard that sequence of chords put together and it was hard to come up with a melody through it but I mean the, the, the work, in spite of the inebriation, was worth people's times to be able to hear. So even when he was at the deepest, darkest point that I was aware of in his addiction, um, the quality of the work didn't suffer. And you can listen to all those Bowie albums where he was all blown out on coke for fucking decades at a time. It's good music you know, and, and, you know, not for nothing, but, um, I mean, they weren't a consistent live band when they were high, but like, if you look like at Aerosmith, I mean, it worked until it didn't, you know what I mean? So by the time draw the line came around, I mean, there were still fucking killer fucking tunes on there. Uh, uh, can't get it up, draw the line. Um, um uh, 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 uh a bunch that allude you know gang uh I'd have to look at the songs, but there was a bunch yeah, and I then
1: he- I got the owl. I game thing think I was in my head that like uh.
0: and, well even the one after at night in the ruts Chiquita was on that and that was great mm-hmm. um no surprise was sort of like the sequel to um uh draw the line
1: the a uh, song. I' you know, always really like good- the drugged out years of most bands. I like done with mirrors because they still weren't clean yet. So that still has a dirty sound. I like done with mirrors better than permanent vacation.
0: Yeah. And, um, uh, hmm, I, because I was so happy for them that they were able to orchestrate a comeback. Uh, you know, it wasn't. Well, I mean, there, I guess there's a time and a place for everything. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, they can still try to make great music when they're sober, but you're not. And and, and I think it's, there's a more Mm -hmm. primal fundamental level that we're dealing with. And that's when you're first starting out and you don't have a family and you don't have kids and you're 25 or whatever the fuck you are. um, You have nothing to lose. And all you've got is the belief that you have, stupidly or accurately in the band that you've made, right? That's all you care about at that point in your life. And so those records feel that way because it is life or death. It is all or nothing. It is, I am gonna be heard and then as you go through things, which is why it's good that I've never made it, frankly, because at least the ideas still aren't from the place of like, oh, I'm going to drive my Porsche down to the air conditioned studio and then I'm going to play my $70,000 guitar through my million dollar amplifier made of uh, 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 that coffee that come, that they get from monkeys in the Amazon or whatever the fuck, right? You know, it's it's literally what's left of the uh, I, I, one of my guitar heads is, uh, uh, is an old Venom head from the band Venom. Yep. It's a, a Marshall 800. And then uh, I actually got that in England when I was living there with my band Product, which was my post-life sex and death Here, band. Yep. Uh, another band that was as influential as it was not successful and it was anti-product was also i mean we invented fan funding in 2000 okay we were fan funding in 2000 but then it wasn't referred to as uh, fan funding it was still called begging by mm-hmm. the same people that quit the music business in 2002 when everything changed while anti-product was still do, do, hanging on and doing okay because we went you know if you have two thousand and this is the thing you know, i try to tell all my buddies this Your fan base, numerically, whatever it is, is what it is. So when you put one shirt out there to get some money in during the pandemic when we're not working, um, you still only have 200 people that's going to buy your merch, right? So you're not, you can't sell the same shirt to 200 people five times. So what do you do? You sell four shirts to the same 200 people. And if they and if they understand your music and they identify with you and you've been a good service provider because they're not going out, it's a fucking pandemic. um, uh, You can then actually have money for food and rent and whatever, um, because the dynamic of the relationship between the musician and the fan has changed And if you don't, and the fan in quotes, right? Uh, If you you hold on to the old paradigm, meaning I find it a little bit of a, a derogatory word, but the fans in quotes are the only reason I'm able to do what I've been doing for 35 years. Without them, I have nothing. I can get in and out of bands, but unless I've earned the respect of the people that have chosen to see me play instead of watch Netflix... That's who my boss is, not Chip, not Richard Black. You know what I mean? They, I do, I I have to function in that paradigm and I have to deliver what the people that are paying me directly need to hear. That's part of my job. Yes. But the people who make sure I have a job are the ones who come see us play. So, frankly, they're more important to me than anybody I'm on stage with nowadays. I, I'm also aware what I do isn't for everybody, but I don't want it to be for everybody. I want it to be like early Christianity. I want it to be for like the freaks and the misfits and the, the people that, that don't fit in the way I didn't fit in. I was like, you I want
1: was. people to wash your feet?
0: That's well, ideally, yeah. Not
1: early Christianity.
0: <laughs> Only if they're over 18, though, okay? <laughs> You're grooming. I will
1: <laughs> I've never groomed in my life. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me.
0: anti-product in England. Uh there was an American version, but this was the version that more people were familiar with. Um and um I ended up literally married into the royal family. Okay. Literally. Okay. Um uh and we were together for like 13 years. It was a, it was a it was a She hates me. I like her. So whatever, you know what I mean. Not like 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 you do in high school, but like I don't have any ill feelings. Uh, That's a one way street. Whatever it is, as it is. Okay. But uh, so, how does a guy come from the United States and within six months or however long it took for us to be going out? How does one this end up? married into the royal family because dude she was like such a black sheep I mean she had a purple mohawk for starters um uh, yeah they're rebelling and you were rebelling yeah but I mean I'm saying me but and but that's not true actually and this is going to sound really pathetic so you'll have to forgive the patheticism of this but um somebody in her family um married into the Habsburg family Right. Um, For anyone that may not know, the Habsburgs were the family that ruled the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which lasted for however long it did. But But all all of the royal families across Europe came to this wedding. Right and and the the ex was decidedly rock and roll and yeah I mean she had tattoos back in 2000 which was still like a little bit novel for girls back then um and I got my face tattoos at the end of the 80s when you know now you can't go outside without bumping into a trust fund kid who's got facial tattoos and I'm like you know but I always do I do the slow roll past him when I see him I just kind of I look them. And you know what happens? It's the weirdest dynamic. You know, and they're cool. They're the fucking it kids. And you know what I mean? He's got the shades on inside the club, smoking the cigarette, leaning on the wall. And he's got some cute little hottie next to him for sure. And, you know, he's just living out his James Dean thing. Um, and, uh, you know, but, you know, it's obvious that like, oh, you're 18 and you have facial tattoos. You have nothing to worry about for the rest of your life, nor you wouldn't, if you were working at McDonald's, you wouldn't be able to do that right now. So, uh, and when I got a job at guitar center, I actually had to cover them up in the nineties. Oh. Yeah. Just, I put makeup. They wouldn't wow. hire me with facial tattoos. Yeah. And that was in the nineties. You know what I mean? Because at that point, when I first started getting these, it was literally me and murderers. <laughs> you know what I mean? And uh, what it was, was your thought process on that. Um, uh, uh, it, it was branding. It wasn't a term yet, but I wanted to separate myself from all the other guys who had blonde hair and played guitar. So I in 87, I got this one. I was the first one and they all mean something to me um uh, that was the first one um and uh um you know I never regretted it maybe there was one night that I regretted it and stuff but you know I, I just I wanted to be uh different than anybody else that did what I did so I went for the facial tattoos um And it was still, you know, a pretty crazy thing then. Uh, But, you know, and now I do, I go into Guitar Center, you know, 15 years later or whatever it is. And I'm like, they all got fucking face tattoos now. I couldn't even, I had to cover my shit up like when you were 10. So I could even, you know, because I was in between, it was before Sass Jordan and it was after, no wait, it was after Sass Jordan and before Deep Julie. I don't know. I was in between gigs. Um, you know, and I had to go get work, but the interesting thing was they offered that and, you know, sorry, if you're a guitar center, you're listening to this, but I can't do it. Just being honest. Um, uh, they wanted me to work on the floor selling to the customers, right? And I wasn't that sure that I wanted to be seen working on the floor of guitar center necessarily after coming off of life, sex and death and being, you know what I mean? Uh, Weren't you on Warner brothers a week ago? What is that? You know? Um, And, uh, uh, and it was weird because I did actually see people that I knew from life, sex and death that weren't that once I covered up these three tattoos, they didn't recognize me. They would walk past and they would look at me really intently and they'd be like, you know, and, but well, without the tattoos, like they were, I can't be sure. Um, and uh, both instances, I was holding a mop, uh, wiping the floor of the rock walk down. So I was super doing it. One was a tour manager I'd fired. And one was the ex-girlfriend of the drummer from uh, uh, Life, Sex and Death, who quit the band so he could move the Phoenix with her. And then a month after this is my, you know, not trying to plant any bad seeds here or anything, but a month after he quit life, sex, and death to move, ironically, to Phoenix with her, uh, she left him again. You're not the guy I fell in love with. No, I'm the guy you turned me into. <laughs> so, uh, uh, anyway, so, you know, I, I th- these things, um, uh, they've... Maybe I've not played as well as I wanted to on a given night. You know what I mean? Maybe I've found certain riffs more challenging than I was able to play. Um, but uh, they've never broken my heart. They've been a constant source of inspiration. They never cheated on me when I was on tour. They don't mind if I play another guitar because they need a different sound. When I put them in the case, they don't bitch at me for like not giving them enough attention. And I realize I'm being a little bit glib and like bordering on sexist, but it has nothing to do with that. Um, Music has never let me down. People have let me down a lot, so I know where. And this is a self-perpetuating thing. The, I'm the what I put into this is what I get out of the instrument. You know what I mean? Um, whereas you know, relationships are very not self-perpetuating, you know, you're at the, the whim and, and whatever. And, you know, I mean, I've mean, i got girlfriends and whatever, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying I do know what makes me happy. And it's always been music and music's never broken my heart. I mean, so, music. like after LSD broke up, I'm like, what? Well, yeah, now what, you know, I was, I was supposed to be Jimmy page by now I'm 27. What happened? Um, so, uh, uh, but that's you know it that's you get used to that you know what I mean and and you know it's all swings and roundabouts but um, I like the company of these things a little bit more than people.
1: What do you have? How do you have what's your main guitars right now? Uh,
0: well, I, you know I play whatever they give me basically, but this is my favorite guitar. Uh, this is a Les Paul um and then the other thing that maybe i just i wasn't charging my wireless right now i could actually play but the other thing right now and uh uh you know who sam bam is
1: i just talked to him last night
0: okay good sam bam he's gonna be bigger than anybody you've ever talked to mm-hmm. sam bam's got that fucking freight train and I remember when I first met him, he was like 21. And he was like this shy little kid. And nobody was really, you know, I've always been the guy that like would walk the kid that got picked on home, not because I was such a great Fighter, but I just couldn't stand the idea of that kid getting picked on and nobody being in his corner. So I would walk that kid home. So I saw that the players my age weren't really like giving Sam Bam perhaps the you know respect that anybody deserves. You know what I mean? That you know whatever. Um, so you know we kind of broke down a little bit. And whenever I'd see him, I'd go, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" And we'd always you know find little. You know he was just finding his way before he is the Sam Bam now, and then. And then I went away on tour. I think it was with little Caesar and I came back months and months later or whatever. And I saw him play again. And he was like a different fucking cat. I'm like, like he had all these moves now and he was doing windmills and whatever the fuck. And I'm like, Oh shit. There's a lot going on here. And by now, you know, people had started to to pay attention to how remarkable a player he is and just great attitude, everything, everything. If you, if any young player wants to look up to somebody, look up to Sam Bam. He, I actually, literally, you can ask him the next time you talk to him, three o'clock in the morning, because we've got that non-existent band together. I don't know if you guys touched on it. Uh, having no. to have, Okay, well, we've got a band, me, Johnny Martin, him, and Stuart Carreras who's a, a mixer and a producer and a songwriter and an incredibly talented multi-instrumentalist. Um, so we've got a non-existent band together, a virtual band called and the have nots. Uh, we just did uh, uh, treat your mother right by Mr. T, but it doesn't sound anything like Mr. T. And uh, we got Jesse camp, who is the total request live DJ uh oh God. He, yeah but i well i i played guitar and and co-wrote uh his album that he made and,
1: the, the street just kid, just camp- what was it called
0: yeah 8th Street kids yeah i was an 8th yep. Street kid um but uh, uh, and so we, you know, we we had a very cool relationship back then and we still do now. And we stayed in touch over the course of time and I got a hold of him. and I was like, hey, Jesse, you know, I'm doing having the have nots and here's the other videos that we've done. And, you know, we're, we bring in guests. So we had uh, we had Joey from uh, a Lizzie Borden play drums on the last one, um, which was um, uh, uh, which was, you know, Exciter by Priest. Yeah. Okay. So basically I took Peter Cottontail and grafted that onto the chassis of Exciter. Um and, and we got Robert Mason from uh Warrant and, and Warrant. Machine and Lynch Mob, uh, who's just such a fucking unbelievable singer. He's un unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, but uh he lives in Phoenix here, and he and I have been friends before we did anything in the world of rock and roll. Um and uh um uh you know i asked if he would come in and do it and he just absolutely fucking blew the doors off and he's he's like well what what, what what am i feeling here alex you know like method acting and i go mm-hmm. uh, well don't ever betray robert mason the front man robert mason the front man needs to be present but don't be afraid to be self-parodying, but never let the audience lose confidence in Robert Mason, right? And literally he goes, got it. Okay, I don't understand what I just said, but you did all the better. And then uh, we started filming him and he was absolutely perfect. He's wearing bunny ears, um, but he's doing you know, he's doing like all the do moves and, you know, and the body language is all right, but he's getting, he's doing the, my favorite part of the, t- my two favorite parts in the last one before the Mr. T one that we just did treat your mother. Right. Um, he does slow motion head banging with the rabbit ears on. <laughs> right. And that was amazing. And then, and he's singing the second verse or the last verse rather. And I forget what the words are now. Uh, but uh, you know he's he's all serious, but he's got the bunny ears on. But he's making you know the face, and he's, here comes Peter up and down. And then he just out of the blue, like and he's doing all the you know the dancing deal things, and you know the mm-hmm. hand gestures, and doing it all right. And he sings the line, uh, uh, "Hippity hoppity Easter's on its way," and he literally just hops off the side of the screen. <laughs> it was so, i can't even like i could watch it a hundred times and every time he cracks me up if of, you, like if you'd asked me literally a year ago alex would you ever turn down six months worth of touring i would have been like what are you fucking high you don't know me um uh the answer would have been absolutely not i will not i will tour that is what i do uh but then everything that my priorities shifted and stuff during the course of all of these things that we've been going through together, whether or not we care to admit that we're going through it together. Um, But uh, uh, my priorities shifted and, and I was very frankly, honestly, but I don't give a shit. I'm an open book. I was like right next door to a complete nervous breakdown about three, four weeks ago. And I didn't know why I had no idea why, but I was like, And that it was just after um, we had announced that we were doing the shows, that the shows with Faster were on, again, just now. And that's when this weird malaise set into my consciousness that I couldn't explain but it was there. And I remember, and I do that again, and this totally undermines everything that I said about not believing in God. But um, when I'm, when my back is really against the wall, I have these two friends that died uh, both from Chicago, Michelle and Danielle. Um, And they were people that I never questioned their motivations toward me. I never questioned whether or not they loved me, not the guy on stage right but me talking to you and all of our friends out there uh,
1: Michelle, this wasn't Michelle from the song was it
0: no no but I sing that every time I play that song I sing it to her so like if I ever do play with those guys again which you know what I, mean? I mean like me and Chip are writing the next album now you know what I mean so in a way like he's going to go on tour and I'm going to be the one feeding him riffs you know I would I
1: mean? make a bet on anybody who's not going to play with else enough at some point
0: I'm the what?
1: I wouldn't make a bet about somebody who's not going to play with Enough's Enough at this point. Eventually,
0: like everybody will. Everybody's going to play. Either they're going to be on
1: my show or they're going to be in Enough's Enough. It's going (laughs) to happen. At some point, my show is going to go on tour and play with Enough's Enough. Yeah,
0: you'll be the guitar. Your show will be the guitar guitar player. player. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But uh, uh, and uh, Tony, who's uh, back in the band now, he's the guy that I replaced. Um, He's phenomenally talented and a a really talented musician and a a great engineer. And uh, there's there's it's not an easy job, that one, because you got to, you know, I mean, you got to sing a lot and this, that and the other thing. There's all those things that come with the gig. Um, So you have to be able to sing to a certain extent well um and you got to know how to play the songs and you you got to know how they are meant to feel when you play them and this that and the other thing so there's a lot of people that wouldn't be right for that job you know what i mean but uh uh, uh, tony is definitely absolutely perfect for that job um and there's a couple other guys that like if uh, tony hadn't been available that you know i would have maybe suggested you know um Uh, but the point being, every time I was playing and fly high, Michelle is not a song I had anything to do with. I had nothing that was written after I was already in life, sex and death. But, um, uh, uh, I always sang that song to Michelle every night. I sang that song to her, but so there's Michelle and Danielle. Um, and whenever I find myself sort of, all right, what the fuck now? What? Um, I, I asked them, you know, I'm like, guys, I know that you love me and that you're in, you, you accept me who I am and it's not based on what I do on stage. Uh, what do I do here? Um, you know, and I was very emotional at that point. And I mean, this isn't long ago at all. And I got home and, um, uh, uh walked in my door and went out back and smoked a joint and uh which is part of how you get in enough's enough by the way you just have to be high uh uh but uh, uh and so i uh you know i walked out back and you know had a moment to myself and i realized i admitted to myself i don't want to do this tour I don't want to do it. I don't want to be away from mom. I've got too much responsibility. She's 82 years old. I don't know who she's going to be when I come back. If I go away for a long time, um, the dog is 13 years old. We almost lost him last year. We were told that we had to put him down twice in two weeks. I'm like, we can't do that. That's all mom's got left of her dead husband. So he can't go because I'm going to be without a mom. So we we got to keep this little furry guy alive. Um, and we were able to do that and, you know, he's here, so I don't want to miss him. You know what I mean? And not putting too fine a point on it, but you don't get rich doing that. You know what I mean? So, uh, do I want to go out for, you know, not particularly a lot of money to be away from, uh, the sunset years of my mom's life and and the dog that I love, As much as anything, you know what I mean? And the idea again, if I was, you know, somewhere, you know, at a poorly attended show on a Tuesday night and I got that phone call and I was out there working, not making real money, you know what I mean? And uh, away from my mom and the dog that I kept alive, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't see the face of myself in the mirror.
1: No, it's I a good decision to, do that. to stay home. I no, actually I, think if it was, if it was a, a high-paying job, you still wouldn't do it. It's easier to say low-paying because it sounds better. Yeah, but I think if you're making a lot of money, you still couldn't do it. Well, I it would sound crazier, but I think you wouldn't do it.
0: I would. Um, I don't know because that scenario, frankly, did not present itself. Um, but I would have the wherewithal to be able to do both. You know what I mean So I could go out there And I could do like Three or four gigs then And I could come back Spend two days with mom Go back out But at the pay, You know what I mean I gotta get in home health care Not that I had anything to do With rock and roll Or fucking whores You know With cocaine Or whatever people used to do Getting their
1: face shut off
0: Their what? That's
1: said getting their face shut off
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. right. Oh, not that old uh, chestnut. Uh, But and that was actually that happened the day after me and Donnie were working started working on our record. I was like, all right, dude, so I'll be there at like three o'clock or whatever. I was supposed to be there. Um, and, uh, and he goes, oh man, no, 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 don't come over. Uh, you know, something weird shit went down last night and a guy got shot in my apartment and all of this stuff, or he was in the apartment when a guy got shot. That was in the complex he lived in. And I'm like, yeah, let's just not, let's take today off. I'll let you do. Yes. Cause his landlord was a big Coke guy. Yeah. His landlord, if I remember the story, but his landlord, I don't remember who got shot. Uh, I know somebody got shot and I know that he was there and I know that the cops were questioning him and I don't need any of that in my life. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you can go figure that one out for yourself. I mean, I love Donnie. And, and, and I mean, in my, the first time that I was in the band, um, Donnie and I were the closest. I mean, we were actually living together. So we were, uh, I mean, we were literally inseparable for a long, long time. Um, and I know all the skeletons and everything I might add. Um, uh, uh, and he, he is a genius. Donnie's a genius. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody that has more control of the songwriting craft than Donnie. You know what I mean? And, you know, I would go out on a date and I'd come back two hours later and, you know, he wasn't like, I was still motivated by ego a little bit more so. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go sex. set. And, but it was enough for Donnie to sit there and write tunes, you know, on his own. And I would go out for two hours and I'd come back and he'd have like three fucking songs done. Like, and good ones, not garbage, you know? And then and immediately I'd be like, holy fuck, I'm such a wannabe. I can't believe it. Like this dude wrote like one third of an album in the time that I wasted would, would have been better spent to work on music than just like, but I was like a super shy kid. So when, when girls perspective on me changed, not because I was any less shy, but because now I was on stage, suddenly I was not invisible and you know what I mean? And like, I got attention then, but I, 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 i was like well i'm still the same nerd so obviously you just think i'm cool because you don't know the real me so you don't care about the real me you just want the guy that was just jumping around on stage with his dick out or whatever bullshit i got up to that day um uh you know and at some point the ego serves no purpose except to hold you back you know um so there's all of those things. But yeah, Donnie, like when I heard Beautiful Things, that last album that he made, um, I, that song in particular, man, I'm not kidding. I heard that the first time. And I just, I mean, it was such a beautifully put together, well written, perfect sentiment tune, man. It just, it took my head off. And I'm like, this guy's like our fucking Brian Wilson and just as messed up. (laughs) But stable, balanced people don't make good art. Van Gogh without a history of mental illness is not Van Gogh. You know, so... Like a fair amount of damage. It's 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 you know it's it's what the kids are into.
1: (laughs) It is. It is. So, you told me you're doing something with Stars.
0: Well, I play in Stars. Yeah, we're trying to. um, uh, Now that I've you're like in so
1: many bands, I don't even know at this point. Like, so you're going to tour with us enough, and then you're in Stars, but then you're also in Shark Shark Island, Island. and then
0: and I produce and manage the Darbies. Um, yeah, they. Uh, I've been working with them for about two years now, and we're um, we're right on the verge of singing, uh, finishing their second record. Um, uh, you know, but I, I kind of have to fit it in between other stuff that I do, uh, just given the nature of my life right now. So um, I'm maybe not as all consumed by it as I was once, uh, but you know, shit happens, and that's the way it goes.
1: Maybe we'll help them on to promote the album then.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's and it's really great. I mean, it, it really is a great and here, you know, they're like 21 years old and they listen to music that I thought when I was coming up was for old people. Right. What they're into now is the shit when I was 14 or 12 or whatever. The equi- I mean, they're not into yes, but like I remember when I was listening to Kiss, 18 year olds were listening to Yes, because that was serious music. Kiss was for kids, but Yes was for adults, (laughs) Um, 18-year-olds. And, you know, and so... You know, we didn't really give the the Beach Boys a look in when we were listening to Kiss because that was from a different era. But these kids are starting with the Beach Boys and Queen and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and the Doors. And that's what their first influences are. So that's what I'm saying that, like that was for old people from the perspective of a teenager back then. But this is the music. And here's the other thing. Um, It is not coincidental that the... um, uh, plummeting of the music business ties in chronologically with the advent of the computer right nor that young people now prefer songs that were recorded on analog because sound waves are a real thing sound waves exist and they are the highway that carry human emotions now, when you play, I
1: college for I have a degree in production. I'm way up on this whole I, I, watching analog and digital just crushed my soul watching it. Right. Happen, you know,
0: so you're you're sort of are you agreeing with what I'm saying?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, I okay. went to college. I was splicing. I was doing. I learned in college. I learned analog right at the very end. So right, right when grunge took out, they took it out. Apple uh, laptops came around at the same time. We're not splicing, so right?
0: All oh, you know, the okay. same
1: thing equivalent of analog
0: well and the thing being then like a computer so analog like if i'm playing you know whatever song yep. i'm playing um and i'm trying to capture that feeling in how i feel and then that becomes amplified or picked up by the pickups and like well, uh, um, if i'm playing something and it's being recorded analog it is actually um capturing the wavelengths of emotion for lack of a better word uh, which is probably the name of the next phil collins album um but uh, uh 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 when so okay sorrow song okay whatever so okay and then the computer takes that information and goes human sorrow one zero 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 what well no it doesn't work like that you know what i mean it's the the waveform has the emotion not just the sound so when you're recording analog
1: right. well then they'll squash it too and then you're
0: gonna you know exactly yeah and then they go crazy with it and then you can't squash it enough where it just literally sounds like White noise and it ends up as an MP three. And some people still insist on spending half a million dollars to make a record where it's like it's gonna end up as an MP three and you're gonna squash the fuck out of this and mastering.
1: could you imagine? Could you imagine if 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 they did digital for pet sounds when it first oh. came out? If it was could you imagine it wouldn't have happened. We would the world would have been different.
0: God only knows recorded digitally. Right yeah. then, a lightning bolt should hit me. You know what I mean. Uh, and that's the perfect example. And uh, sort of as an ancillary note, have you ever heard um, the mono version of both Sergeant Pepper's and Pet Sounds?
1: Uh, Sergeant Pepper's, yes, and I think most of Pet Sounds. Because... Oh, see, I listen to Yes, and I listen to Kiss. I listen to everything. So, okay, okay, yeah. It took me a
0: while. I didn't get into Yes until drama. Well, I
1: didn't get to Yes until. It was a a lot longer. Same thing with Zappa. I was in my, like, 30s and 40s.
0: Wow, okay. Okay, wow, okay. Um, But uh, um, what was the analog? Was that what we were just talking about? Um, Well, and and that's also why I believe that um, uh, kids are going back to the analog stuff because they actually... uh, No, it was about the stereo versus the mono versions. Um, Mm -hmm. In mono... Um, both the Beach Boys and the Beatles to me became much more rock and roll bands than, you know, when you had the drums over here and the vocals over here and whatever, when it all just came at you, like a herd of elephants and whatever. um, uh, Both of those records to me were much more rock and roll than I had thought that they were previously when I heard everything all separated out and
1: stuff. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I do uh uh sergeant peppers in particular i met rick nielsen and i've met gene simmons and you know and and while i see that they're very unique and strong people they're you don't miss them you know what i mean you know that they're in the room um uh 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 both experiences you know i found a very very humble side very humble side to rick nielsen in spite of everything and a very humble side to gene simmons you know uh like all his work with wounded warriors and stuff like you don't hear about it or whatever but i mean he's definitely very very proud of uh, this country you know the united states and uh uh and you, you can see stuff on YouTube and, you know, he's blubbering about how much he loves the United States. And it's totally, totally meant. Um, and I didn't know there was that side to him. But, you know, he's giving hundreds of thousands of dollars every year to wounded warriors. Love the warrior. Because, you know what, there's a lot of people that don't. And they were just doing what they had to do at the time. Um, And, you know, everybody should be held accountable for misdeeds. I don't, I never think otherwise. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of good people that went to war and were changed. Elon Musk, you're worth, first of all, nobody should be worth $180 billion because the rest of us, for money to have any value, it needs to be finite. And if you got Bezos and you got uh, Musk taking... I think there's $14 trillion worth of money on earth, right? Something like that. And then the debt exploding factors into that as well. But so if you've got two guys that have two people that have 10% or whatever it breaks down to be of all the money there is, no, that's 20% actually, 20% of what money there is, well, that doesn't leave as much for the of the 80% for the rest of the no. 8 billion of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, here's a dollar for you. Okay, everybody, like if they took all that money and divided equally, everybody would get $2 except Bezos and Musk. More? Uh, well, I'm going to be on tour. It just won't be with Enough's Enough. I just can't stay out on tour um, uh, with one band for The entirety of three months. What
1: can people do to support you? Like I'm saying, because I oh, get a hold of me.
0: uh, Get a hold of me and and buy my merch. I've got yeah. I mean, that's what you can do. I don't. I don't have a store. I I owe the people that like my music and like what I do, and I have no airs and graces about this. And so, if you want like a shirt, I am responsible. For getting you that shirt. I don't need handlers. I don't need somebody else to put it in the envelope. I owe that person that reached out to me to buy something from me. So I want it to come from me. You know, so literally, I mean, I've got like unreleased life, sex and death stuff. I've got like life, sex and vintage life, sex and death posters. Um, I've got original CDs and what I, I, cause right now the life, sex and death CD before shipping is going for 50 bucks on eBay. So I go, I sell it for 50 bucks with no shipping. You know what I mean? Um, uh, Because one, I don't want them making money off of our hard work. And two, if I can, if I can, if if the demand is such, I would rather the people that like the music come straight to me because I benefit from it. I didn't even think of that. But I wonder if some of them aren't bootlegs and that's why they won't sell it to me. You know, they just ran off and printed it for like 10 bucks or whatever. You know, and now they're selling it to people that like what I do for, you know, 100, 150 with shipping from Italy. And uh, um, and maybe that's the cause for the action. I didn't uh, I didn't think about that. But uh, but, yeah, no, I'm going to go on tour. Um, it just won't be with enough and it just won't be for, you know, every day of the week for yeah. a month uh but i can do like weekenders i can do out and back i can do a couple of weeks you know what i mean in a row because i got to get in a home care you gotta hook
1: up with one of the m3 uh type of fly-in gigs and with one of those yeah
0: exactly something like that would be ideal you know what i mean something like that those
1: in and out over the weekends are good
0: Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I can come back, I can take care of mom during the week. So, you know, that's, that's definitely what I'm sort of uh, in the short term aiming myself at, whether or not it happens, I can't attest to, but a a gig like that would be ideal. And, 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 you know, we did all those songs that made up the first two albums and, uh, you know, and then I started Life, Sex and Death and, you know, that has its following. And, you know, and then I, I played with all the Living Ramones by now and Shark Island. I produced it and played guitar in it. And, you know, and we just got a record deal. So you and played
1: with Richie and you played with Marky, huh?
0: I played with CJ, Richie, Marky, and Clem. We did a couple of shows uh, uh, with uh, um, Kip when he was doing his stripped down thing, not the rock mm-hmm. band, not Winger, the rock band, but all the solo like,
1: stuff w- is really good. Yeah
0: where well yeah and like there's a dude with a suitcase playing drums or a suitcase made out of drums and him on an acoustic guitar I mean that's so not cheesy fantastic you're actually making something artsy out of that and still being Kip Winger but so he had a fascination with me and and we did a couple of gigs together and I always do yoga before I play right And so, like, he saw one show, and he was kind of like, oh, I want to find out about this guy a little bit more. And so we were hanging and talking and blah, 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 blah. And then we had another uh, show that we did together. And now we're bros, you know what I mean? We've actually, you know, spent time being real with each other. We were opening for Vince Neil, and he was playing on the bill as well. We'd already become friends at this and We'd, you know, hang out and tell stories and whatever. But he didn't know that I did yoga before every show, right? It's a little bit of an intimate thing. You're there doing your downward dogs and your warrior threes and everything. Um, and, uh, but he walked into the room, you know, just as I was in mid, whatever I was doing, uh, you know, doing my intimate pre-gay yoga. And Kip looks at me and he goes, ah, so you do yoga, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I <knew it> was. <laughs> uh, one leg, you know, and uh, it's a it's a half hour uh, routine, right? Practice, as it's called. Um, and uh, uh, and I'll be fucking damned if Kip Winger didn't stand there and have a conversation with me for the entirety of this one yoga session before the show. Um, and as it turns out, uh and it's not because he was like stalking me or any I, weird anything like that. I don't get that. I mean, from him. It was inappropriate. I'm like, yeah, I'm a vegan and you know, and That's I'm a good you story. Know, you know, and and uh <laughs> but at one point, so I'm doing my thing and we're talking and I'm like, okay, this is weird, but it's happening, so it is what it is. And then at one point, so we were in like one of the rooms off to the side from like this restaurant area that was an outdoor gig. And so they put the bands in in one of the rooms that was not used as with the restaurant that was part of the complex that all of this was in. And next to, there was the women's bathroom. One of the women's bathroom was down the hallway that that door that we were behind led into. So a girl, of course, wearing a winger shirt, a woman at this point, not a girl, like, you know, probably well in her 40s somewhere. And she comes walking down the hall. And now he's standing there. and I'm doing downward dog or whatever I was doing. And I hear from the other side of the door.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Right. And so I'm downward dogging Kip is watching me do. And one of his fans is now screaming out, literally screaming. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And, and then it goes into, I'm not usually like this. I'm not usually like this. And uh, the thing that they'd failed to do was lock the fucking door. Right. And so she pushes in. Now I'm like, you know, I've been around enough like famous dudes that people look, act the way Kip Winger's looked at, where I'm like, all right, well, this is going to go one of two ways. Either she's going to be totally cool, or this is going to get a little bit weird. And, you know, I'm the guy who walked the guy home from school that got picked on, so there's no way I'm not going to try to, you know, at least be make sure that the situation de-escalates, right? And she's standing there, and she's got the shaking hands going, and oh, I, you, I, I must be acting like such an idiot. <laughs> it's like, well, you're seeing Kip Winger, and Um, and, uh, but I knew he was, he was going to be polite and he was going to, acknowledge her humanity, but he was not going to be as available as what she was expecting. So he didn't need that weirdness in his life at that moment either. So I kind of went in there and, you know, talked to her and sort of, well, you can't really be in here right now. I'm trying to do my pre gig yoga. I'm in one of the other bands. So, you know what I mean? I can't even hear me, obviously, right? He was very gracious and, you know, he signed the thing, but then it kind of like started dragging on and now Kip's chick walks in and I'm like, look, I'm going to go because I have go play a show but she's really really into Kip so you know watch what because she he was with a she was a smart person as well as attractive smart always is more important than the track yes. she was a smart person as well so uh she was able to see what was unfolding in front of her um and uh you know and obviously i saw him later so it was handled fine but that's the story of the day that Kiplinger watched me do uh, an entire set of yoga before i did a gig opening for vince neal <laughs> all right buddy thank you very much and i very pleasure. much appreciate it And we'll be in touch okay
1: let's do it again all
0: right, very right good Bye. have a good one man